Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host for today's episode. Today, I had the opportunity to sit down with Sylvain Trepanier, the Senior Vice President and System Chief Nursing Officer for Providence St. Joseph Health. I had the opportunity to get to know Syl last year through an introduction with Eric Wexler, another leader there at Providence, where I learned of Syl's knowledge and skills as a nursing leader. He's since been promoted and oversees 48,000 nursing staff for Providence in the many states and 52 hospital ministries throughout the Western United States. In today's episode, we really dug into the role of a nurse and a nurse executive or chief nursing officer for a hospital setting. Sil breaks down his history as a nurse and how for 32 years and more to come, he's been continuing to rise through the nursing ranks. Sil shares a great story at the end that's a relatively simple story, but gives us a reason to smile at the end of our day. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us on our YouTube channel, pophealthpodcast.com or Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the show. Well, Sil, thanks so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So folks, uh, for those of you that don't know, Syl has actually uh, helped me uh, on a different project last year when uh, my day job, we were returning to the workplace. And with Syl's expertise working in a hospital setting and of course with the pandemic, uh, Syl volunteered some of his time to help my colleagues, many of whom go to your uh, ministries or hospitals for care. Uh, So great to have you back, Syl. It's great to be back. Thank you so much. No problem. So we'd like to kick off the show uh, getting to know you a little bit, um, and then later on we'll go ahead and get into the uh, nursing leadership role that we'll talk about. So, Syl, uh, tell us something about you outside of healthcare, if you don't mind, uh, like a fun fact, hobby, something like that. Absolutely. You know, something that uh, many people don't uh, know is that I uh, I have a uh, have a passion for. Um, for acting. And uh, in fact, when I was in nursing school, I was also uh, in uh, acting school uh, at ah. the same time and, um, and did a lot of uh, plays. Uh, now, uh, you, you, may remember, you may remember this, that I'm originally from Montreal, Canada. So yes. everything I've done on stage has been in French, never done anything in English. Uh, everything's been in uh, in French, and I uh, so I did a few plays, and uh, and then I uh, you know everything became very serious, and where I had, was at a fork, and I had to make a decision. You know, either I, I can't do both full time, obviously. That really the decision making really didn't take that long. Was I going to be making a life of all about me being on stage versus of all about for others and helping others and and here I am. I uh, decided to become a nurse full time and and do this. Uh, and 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 it was the best decision I've ever made. Uh, why am I sharing this with you? Because when it's time for me to retire, guess which love I'm going to go back to afterwards. Ah, nice. So you mentioned you know you chose being a nurse instead of uh, an actor. At what point, as you're growing up in Canada, yeah. did you make that decision? 
Yeah, um, I, you know, when I, when I was, uh, I always forget exactly how old I was, between seven to 10 years old, somewhere around there, my dad, uh, my dad got diagnosed with diabetes, he was a late type one diabetic. Uh, type one diabetics are are, di are typically diagnosed at a very young age. And this is where you're insulin dependent, where you have to give yourself shots every day. Uh, and uh, my dad, um, my dad was, you know, five at the time, way back when, when I was a kid. So he was five, seven, and he was like a little over 220 pounds. Uh, and uh, within a matter of Three months. I don't forget exactly the the, the time the timeline here, but uh, lost like you know close to hundred pounds or something crazy like that. Uh, he was just like he just like disappeared in front of us, and found himself you know in the hospital. He was really sick, and I was frightened. Uh, I was frightened as a kid seeing him being you know so sick, and then coming back home and feeling the urge to take care of him, to do something for him, and so much so that. Uh, I asked him um, to teach me how to uh, how to help him with giving his insulin when I was a child. Uh, when I mean, I'm taking you like back many many years ago, where you didn't even have a way to check your blood sugar on an, on an ongoing basis the way you have it today. I mean, today they put stuff on their on their arm and then they see electronically what their blood sugar is. Uh, but he had to he had to pee into this. Uh, he had to put urine into this little tube, put a capsule in it and then shake it. And depending on the color of it, it would tell you, you know, how much sugar was in his, uh, was in his, uh, in his system. So uh, I would play uh, in, in helping him read this and then helping with his, with his shot and really got a huge passion for, for caring and, 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 and knowing that I'm doing something that's meaningful to help him stay well. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was hooked. Uh, I was hooked right there, and uh, and that stuck with me. Uh, that stuck with me the entire time. So when I when it was time for me to you know make decision, I, I knew very early on in in high school, you know, middle school, high school, I was going to do something in healthcare, and 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 pretty much you know, and and nursing very quickly. And and why nursing? Well, I I could see, uh, and I'm glad I saw that earlier on that um, the ability to be able to to be educated uh, and, and developed as a healthcare professional with, uh, with, a, with a holistic mind and the ability to be able to see, uh, to see the whole person, uh, you know, physically, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, uh, and the likes, uh, and, 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 and understanding that all of those components makes us whole. Yeah. And, and without seeing the whole person, uh, you, uh, you're missing out and, and, and you might be going down the wrong path. So having that holistic view of how to care for, uh, for someone was, was very important to me and very appealing to me. And, and, and that's, so it was very clear. Wow. So where, so you knew that going in, you stuck to your, you stuck to your path. Where did you end up going to uh, nursing school? I ended up going to nursing school at the university at Université de Montréal, as they would say it uh, back uh, back home, which I did not know back then, but uh, is actually the largest uh, the largest um, uh, French speaking university in the world. Oh wow! So is it a? They still own that title, but uh, they they used to for a while. What was that? 
Is it a large university? I'm not familiar. It's pretty large. Yeah, okay. it's pretty large, you know, a couple of, you know, tens of thousands of, you know, people that are that are enrolled on, on any given day. I mean, it has a, a really big campus uh, up in uh, Montreal and then some satellite campuses uh, and have and they also have a pretty uh, robust international uh, uh, international uh, school, uh, business school, and uh, uh, they uh, they it's it's a school of medicine as well, and then school of nursing and and all allied health uh, uh, law. It really it's a full blown uh, you know. There's I can't think of a, a discipline that they're not uh, that they're not uh, they don't have their hands in, um, oh, okay. and they do it. I mean, they, and they do it very well. So I'm actually I was actually pretty. Uh, pretty excited to be uh to be accepted even back then it was uh it was not easy it was not easy to get into uh into nursing school i ended up uh, a school is a little bit different in uh, in canada so after you're done with your with your high school uh everyone has to uh so we call it college back there uh, and it's either a two or three year program uh, and uh, and then you have to you have to graduate from from college with a two or three year degree to get into a baccalaureate degree. So my so by the by the at the end of the day, post high school, my baccalaureate degree is is essentially five years post high school. Okay, is how it. Uh, what it ends up uh, being. So that's where I went to school. Okay, cool. So you go to school there, and then at what point? Did you end up crossing the border and coming to the United States? And what was that inspiration? Um, so I'm going to tell you, there's there are two things that became very clear to me uh, very quickly in nursing school. The first one was that I was going to be a nurse leader. Okay. Um, just like, just uh, had my first uh, in, uh, I think it was in the first year. Uh, I had a class uh, uh, on um on leadership and administration and uh and just got like like hooked uh and and honestly you know and i shared with you that i was doing some stuff in uh, in acting and we we i had an acting team uh that uh and formed a small company way back when oh dang uh and so always and and led you know that group of friends uh, if you were so every place i would find myself i would kind of gravitate towards that role of you know helping others uh, and and leading us you know as a team so uh it was a bit of a natural fit for me to find myself that even in that uh, in that work uh as i practiced very quickly uh as soon as i got very comfortable in my practice uh, setting i very quickly became you know charge nurse and and, and really leading the uh the clinical team um, i started teaching uh, very quickly also because i've always had a passion in helping others becoming nurses so i would teach clinicals uh for for nurses uh very early on uh as well and uh so i knew i wanted to uh to be a nurse uh, leader and I, um, I, I was very, I, I was getting a sense very early on, uh, you know, obviously the, the delivery model in the States is very different than the delivery yeah. model in Canada. And I was very intrigued by, um, uh, by the, the business side of healthcare, uh, which is, it might be a strong word to say it's non-existent in Canada. It's just not 
it's not in the fiber. It's not the, in the culture. It's not, it's not what it is. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Right. Uh, it's just different. So I was very intrigued by that and felt that in order to be a, a, a well-rounded uh, a leader in healthcare, that having that, um, having experience in what does it mean uh, to lead uh, in uh, in a diff- completely different model that would really allow me for some much you know better uh, better understanding uh, and 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 also the ability to uh, you know, to lead different teams differently with different perspective. Um, so was so that? I, Oh, so that's sorry. why I decided to come to the U.S. Really, because I was very much attracted to knowing that I could I could be a a, a different you know type of leaders and different and learning different skills. Okay, cool. We you mentioned you know healthcare in Canada is definitely a lot different than the U.S. and there's a different business climate um, or lack thereof almost in Canada. We had a uh, guest on last year named Karen Nelson. She was a uh, executive director of case management for Stanford. And she's a social worker by nature. So as you can imagine, you know, universal healthcare in Canada, uh, for her, there was definitely some, some benefits to that. Um, and she definitely felt that the, I won't speak on her behalf, but um, definitely felt that the U.S. was, was different, uh, to say the least. So you come over to the U.S. and uh, just getting to know you a little bit still previously and do, trying to do some homework ahead of time. Uh, I know you worked in the ED. Um, I believe it was your early days in the U.S., um, is that, do I have that right? You have that, you have that right. Uh, okay. So uh, uh, your, yeah, your sources are pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I, I came in the emerge, I came in, uh, in this country as a travel nurse uh, working in the emergency department. And was that Florida or? Yep, that was Florida. That okay. Was Florida. I mean, I did some stuff in other states, uh, but because yep. uh, uh, what happened is uh I, I ended up coming to the States, like literally I graduated. Uh, so I did my, my bachelor's in, in French, right? So University of Montreal is a French speaking university and, and practiced in French speaking as I, as I was, you know, learning and did my, but I, I did my boards back home in English, knowing that it would allow me to get reciprocity for licensure. Ah, did you, in, in Montreal, you grow up learning English, correct? Also? Okay. As, as a second language, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so you- I came here and I worked a little bit and I wanted to get my master's degree. Now, uh, I, if, if, if we think that tuition uh, is high, try foreign tuition. <laughs> Uh, because at that time I, I, I was not a permanent resident. I was working on a working visa. So everywhere I would, if, if I wanted to go back to school, I was considered a foreign uh, you know, student way back when I couldn't even wrap my head around <laughs> what that cost was. So I moved back home and I did wow. my master's degree. And when I came back, so when we're talking about, and I always talk about the fact that when I, I've really been here, I, I, I kind of sort of don't count the first time because I was here for a short stay, but okay. really in 97 is when I came here full time as a traveler in the emergency department in Florida. Okay. Gotcha. So you come back, your real, your, your permanent, I guess, if you will, in the yep. late nineties Yep. and you, you go to Florida and I mean, travel nursing is huge today, uh, yep. but obviously it was a, a thing then too. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what, at what point did you want to plant roots? 
And uh, pretty much then, I mean, I knew it, the easiest way for me to come here was as, to, you know, as a traveler, uh, it mm-hmm. was the easiest way to come in. And it would also allow me to try something. And if I didn't like it, I could try someplace else. So I, I, I came not with the intent of, of always being a traveler, but really leveraging being a traveler to allow me to find a home. Okay. Got it. It's funny. I, I prepared some questions uh, looking at your background about at what point, you know, did you want to be a leader? And we're already there. So you came in, <laughs> you're a traveler, you're probably, so you're, as you're a traveler looking to stay here in the U.S., you're seeking career advancement right away, I'm guessing, yeah. right? You yeah. want, you have that natural inclination. So just looking through your history, um, you know, you did clinical director roles. Um, and then 2004, was your first uh, CNO role? Yes. If I if I have my information yeah. correct, so yeah, how was that? Where was that? So that was in Miami, Florida. Uh, I um, I was uh, I I actually in two thousand and one I joined uh, I joined a, a hospital in Miami, Florida, um, North Shore Medical Center. Uh, okay. Great, uh, great people. I learned so much. Uh, I still have some connection with some people uh, that 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 still practice uh, practice there. Oh, nice. And I joined the organization as an associate CNO. I was the director of nursing operation, essentially overseeing a few departments and um, uh, and and nursing administration, which is essentially the nursing supervisors and in uh, the likes uh, bed placement. And, and and all of that, and I, I so I joined that organization doing that. And uh, sorry, Sil. Yeah, I know for you and many of our audience, bed placement is a term they know. Yeah, but there's going to be a lot of listeners and, and yeah. viewers who don't know what that yeah. means. Do you mind sharing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is where so you have patients coming in uh, into the you know typically people will come in either through the emergency department. And then they get uh, seen by physicians and the whole team. And then they realize that they need to be admitted into the hospital and, and spend some time. There's a whole process that occurs at that time that, uh, you know, you, you get you get admission orders. And uh, and then you're, uh, you then are being placed into a type of bed, depending on the level of care that's required for you. So, you know, so sometimes some people may need to be in an intensive care unit. Others may need to be on a medical surgical unit or depending on what the, what the issues are. And there's the whole process behind the scene where you have people who then are taking all that information, uh, the clinical information and what we're going to be doing for you and with you and, and the type of supervision that will be required for the type of care that you need. And then we place you bed placement into the proper unit within the organization where you can get all that information. So all, so all of that work was under my responsibility uh, when I was the, uh, when I was the di- director of nursing operations. And the beauty about this particular role is that it allowed me, I mean, I, I essentially was uh, interacting with every, everybody and everyone uh, in the organization. Uh, this is where you have 24-7 accountability. I mean, yep. you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it's nonstop and you work very closely with, with nurses, with physicians and the whole ancillary team. I mean, um, you, uh, you essentially, I mean, everybody knows you in the organization and you know everybody in the organization very quickly. The uh, chief nursing officer transitioned in 2004 
early, early 2004, I think it was January-ish, uh, and I was appointed on an interim basis okay. uh, and applied for the role. And then um, I think three months later or something like that is when I got my official first um, uh, chief nurse uh, role, which, uh, which I, was a very important milestone for me in my career because yeah. I went into nursing, you know, 1986 i'm going i'm starting brand new as a as a nursing student with the aspiration of one day becoming a chief nursing officer and, you know, and here i am yeah man you uh you did it Pretty quick yeah that's awesome so 2004 you uh you had the role uh let's fast forward to 2008 and in 2008 um you were working for tenant healthcare uh, if I have my uh, notes here correct, and you were overseeing CNOs throughout much of the nation. So let's let's start breaking down the CNO role a little bit, because I think many of us kind of know the nursing, the CNO is, you know, above the department, the nursing supervisors, and it seems like they're the boss, but we don't really know what a CNO does, right? So what are some of the pressures that the CNO has to deal with? Yeah. So the, the CNO, the chief nursing officer, is uh, is is essentially the most senior nurse uh, of any organization. So if you're talking in a in a ministry or in a hospital, it's it's whomever is has accountability, ultimate accountability. That the buck stops with, from a nursing practice perspective, the buck stops with the chief nursing officer. So all so accountable for nursing care, accountable for nursing outcome, accountable for the, the component of quality of care that that nursing uh, nursing practice is accountable for. I mean, nothing is done in isolation in healthcare. The whole healthcare team wraps around uh, individuals to care for them, and uh, and there's certain uh, discipline specific outcomes and accountabilities that are uh, that are expected, uh, both from a regulatory perspective and from a practice perspective. And that's ultimately that's that's what that CNO is is there for. So it's the it's the accountability from a practice perspective. It's accountability to be the voice of the patient uh, when uh, when there are uh, administrative decisions that are being made and and what's the impact on uh, on our patient. Uh, and as equally important, it's the uh, it's the voice of all the nurses and and, and the practice of nursing uh, in in an organization. You know, when you think about a hospital acute care setting, um, the um, the 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 reason for its its entire existence is to provide care twenty four seven. Otherwise, people would get treatment, go back to their home, and and then that's that. But some people require to be observed yeah. on an ongoing basis, continuously, and then treatment along the way. And the people who are doing that are the nurses. The rest of the team are coming in, they're popping in and out, popping in and out, but the nurses are essentially holding that patient that entire time that they are required to spend a time in the hospital. So that's oftentimes why I say the nurses are the heart of yeah. the uh, of the uh, of the care that's being uh, that's being rendered uh, in in an acute care uh, setting, you can't you cannot be you, you can't be in a hospital uh, and um, and be a patient without being touched by a nurse multiple times in your um, 
in your in your time. Yeah. So you mentioned the buck stops here. You kind of gave us lots of um, you know you guys have a lot of pressure and accountability. So besides patient care, as a lead, as a nursing leader, and I know this can be a sensitive subject. So we'll I'll be I'll try to be delicate here. You know, one of the things you have to do is ensure that your organization and today, I mean, your organ, I mean, there's thousands of thousands of nurses, you know, uh, with Providence St. Joseph Health. How do you make sure like the nursing unions and you guys are fully staffed and you're like, how do you negotiate all that and deal with all that? Can you give us an example? Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff in that question. <laughs> there is a lot. <laughs> I'll, I'll break it apart a little bit. I'll, I'll address head on your question about the unions. Yeah, um, please. So, so the first thing that I'd like to say about that is uh, I, um, I fully believe, uh, you know, in my heart that everyone has, has, has a choice. Everyone has a choice. You have a choice to either be represented or not. And that's, that's your right and you exercise that as you see fit. No different than exercising your right to vote uh, in, in, a general, uh, in a general election. And I, and, and, I, and I get that and I fully support that. And some people choose to be represented by a third party and some others choose not to. Uh, and so at the end of the day, when you're a chief nurse uh, practicing in an organization where you may have nurses who have chosen uh, to be represented by a third party, well, what happens is that when you, when you are, uh, when you are thinking about, uh, you know, making changes in uh, in in certain uh, certain practices or protocols and the likes, you have to make sure that you engage uh, with that with that third party into those conversations. At the end of the day, from my perspective, uh, and it's this is Sill's personal perspective, not necessarily Sill's uh, as the as the system chief nurse of, uh, of yeah. Providence, but from my personal perspective, it, does, it doesn't matter whether nurses choose to be represented or not. Everyone, I, I've always treated people the same way. When you, when you treat people the way you would want to be treated, and when you offer people an opportunity to uh, uh, voice their opinion, a venue to voice their opinion, and uh, and you treat everyone fairly and equally. It doesn't really matter whether there is a union or not. The rules are the same, you know. At the end of the day, the only difference is if you're in an or in an organization where nurses have chosen to be, uh, you know, to be represented, then there's some rules of engagement that you have to follow. Uh, and that's it. So you might have to jump a few more hoops to, to get a few more things done. But at the end of the day, it's no different. Even if they're not represented, I don't believe in still in his own office making decisions and, and pushing it down. Yeah. It, it yeah. doesn't work anyway. <laughs> you can try it. You may think you've done something, but you really haven't accomplished anything because no one's going to do it. Yeah. No one's bought in. So I didn't realize. So forgive me if I'm wrong. So like my wife is a, a teacher in California where a lot of your uh, ministries are located. And audience, you, you'll notice me and Syl uh, use the term ministry. Um, that's the term that Providence St. Joseph Health uses for its acute care medical centers yep. um, based on its history. Um, and, and maybe, Syl, could you maybe just briefly, in like a 30 seconds, explain the term ministry and why ministry for PSJH? Yeah, so uh, Providence is a, uh, is a mission-driven, faith-based organization. And so as a faith-based organization, we... Uh, 
we we minister, right? We uh, we provide uh, care uh, following uh, following the rules, the laws, and 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 how Jesus did. Uh, so everywhere where we uh, where we can offer our services are places where we places are where we consider our ministries. So we uh, the acute care hospitals are ministries. Offices are ministries. Okay. All, all, all every every places where care can be rendered is a ministry. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I always just thought it was called the medical centers, but it's everywhere. Very good. Okay. So with yeah, my so my wife's a teacher here in California, and she has a choice not to be part of the union, but not really. So it's interesting to to find out that your nurses have that choice. Um, well, remember, it, there's also different state rules, right? So there's, oh, okay. state, there's okay. some states where you have, uh, so there's the right to, uh, the right to, uh, to choose, the right to vote, uh, a state uh, and practice. So uh, in, in some places are, so, so California has its own rule, Texas, for example. So I'm, I'm, I'm showing you right two completely opposite uh, uh, states right now on, on the different rules around that. And I'm, uh, and when I became a nurse in, in Canada, uh, different rules uh, there as well. When I, you know, I, so I graduated and, and as I graduated, I, everyone is, all the nurses are unionized and actually, so you're, you're a, an, a government employee as a nurse in, uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in the province of Quebec. And I immediately, uh, and, and everyone, so it's not a choice that I had. So, okay. so my, or the nurses, chose many years ago to be represented and because of the way the the laws are written i'm automatically represented whether i want wow. it or not and i'm already paying in and and oh, wow. just is what it is okay. uh, in some states uh here in some states it's not the case uh, i can be some people may choose to be represented and i may choose uh for instance not to pay the dues and therefore I'm not represented, but my my fellow colleagues are. In other uh, states, if a bargaining union is, you know, God voted in, then no matter what, even if you voted against it, you have to, you, okay. you have to, you're represented as well. So there's there's some uh, there's some nuances here. Okay, great, thank you very much. So uh, we talked a little bit about what ministries are at PSJH. We I mentioned there's thousands and thousands. Can you give the audience you know, high-level overview of Providence St. Joseph Health. Uh, where is it located? That type of thing. Yeah, based in Renton, Washington, which is where I live uh, now. When you and I first met, uh, I lived in Southern California at the time because the office was based in uh, in Irvine when I was representing the Southern California Hospital. So based in Renton, Washington, uh, practice in, um, in seven states. We have 52 uh, ministries. Uh, hospital ministries uh, across the uh, across the United States, Texas. Uh, we practice in New Mexico, California, Oregon, Washington, Montana, Alaska. Those is the state where we practice. We have uh, over a thousand clinics uh, across the entire healthcare system. We have about roughly on any given day somewhere around one hundred and twenty thousand people of Providence and 48,000 of which are nurses. Wow, you said 48,000. Yeah. Wow. And the buck stops with you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of responsibility there, Syl. Uh, 
That is that is quite a bit. Um, I, I may have shared this with you last year when uh, when you uh, you helped my day job uh, and our return to work. But I've been I was born at a Providence Wells prior to Providence taking over, but little company there in Torrance, yeah, which I'm sure yeah. you've been to many times. So yeah. um, I'm sure many of our listeners and audience uh, similar situations. Yeah. So you mentioned the 48,000 nurses. Uh, thank you as well. Uh, I know talking about unions is, is can be a delicate situation. We I think we did that well. Uh, you did that well. Um, so let's talk about the nursing shortage, which generally speaking, at least in my lifetime in healthcare, um, and probably yours as well, you know, that's been a, to a topic that's generally been top of mind. And your lens, like what's a real solution for this? Yeah, it's 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 multifactorial. You know, I graduated, I became a nurse, and it was in a yeah. nursing uh, shortage. And and uh, and there's been uh, there's been ups and downs. Okay. Uh, over the last few decades, I can't believe it's been 32 years for me. It's kind of crazy. Uh, so there there's been some uh, some ups and downs. I think that what we're uh, what we're facing with right now is the like literally the perfect storm. Yeah. So what happened is that we knew that uh, in uh, at the beginning from 2020 to 2030, roughly around there, this 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 decade was uh, going to be challenged uh, with uh, just on a pure numbers perspective, looking at supply demand, number of people who are entering the profession. Uh, becoming a nurses, uh, taking into consideration those who are retiring and leaving uh, the profession on, you know, on an active basis. And, and looking at all of the, those numbers, you know, way back when, when we were looking at this decade, we knew we were going to be you know, struggling. And that's why there was a lot of efforts uh, in the previous decade to, to mitigate that because we knew we were going to get into this stage. So there's, there was a lot of work that was done to increase the number of, uh, of, uh, of nurses that we would be graduating. So nursing schools started to work on that, making sure that we had more people who would go into academia so that we could have enough people to train and educate our, uh, our nurses. So all of those things were happening. Uh, Johnson & Johnson, just to name uh, one particular organization, offered a lot of efforts and support and philanthropy dollars and then further you know, supporting the profession. And so lots of sorts of organization that really rallied, rallied around that. So, so we have that and we knew that this was, it was going to be tricky. And then as it turns out uh, a few years ago, not that long ago, there was, there's always been these interim reports that came out that, that, that told us, Hey, all the work that you've done is actually going to, uh, serve us well. Now we will have some pocket. So, so here's the message that we were hearing two years ago. Okay. Good news is we're not going to be lacking as many nurses as we thought we were. However, it's not going to be balanced. There's okay. going to be some states where we're going to have too many, believe it or not, and some states where we're just not going to have enough. And we need to figure out a way to even this out. That was a little bit of the message that we were hearing. Hmm. And then COVID hits. Yeah. COVID hits and, uh, and here's what uh, the nurses, so brand new nurses and perhaps aspiring nurses that are now seeing, uh, I guess it is a bit of a dangerous job. Um, I guess there's a lot of unknown. 
we don't know when that thing is going to be over. There's not enough people. People are working really hard. And to add insult to injury, it becomes this, and I, I'm, still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, on how this world pandemic became so politicized. And, and then it just, it just got off the railroad track. And all of a sudden, you're seeing this divide, wow. <laughs> this huge divide that creates so much complexity that no one needed. And so when you layer that on top of layer, on top of layer, on top of layer, I am worried. Today. Yeah. I'm worried today way much more so than I was, you know, two years ago. I'm so, worried today more than a year ago because yeah. I'm seeing some people now who are exiting the, or the, the profession. Yeah or exiting healthcare altogether um, that we were not anticipating. Yeah, and, and if we can, you know, if I can ask for some vulnerability, I'm assuming some of that also hits Providence, the, you know, yeah. 52, yeah. Min 52 ministries and 50, yeah. almost 50,000 nurses. Yeah. So, you know, you're supposed to be this rah-rah leader, right? So what's your, I mean, you probably have a ton of here, I mean, I mean, a ton of these near nurses probably weren't ever expecting this type of war zone, and but they're going in and they're doing it, which is awesome too, yeah. right? So while there's this, oh yeah, right, the majority it's probably the heroes, right? Yep. So how do you inspire the new generation? Yeah, like that. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, there's so much to be inspired for. First of all, we have such a great opportunity today. If you if you think about the people who are working in healthcare today, right? So I, so me and many others, we have a chance to write the history of healthcare right now. We're writing it right now. Yeah. Generations after us, they're going to be talking about this 100th right world pandemic, how we managed it, how we dealt with it and how we recreated ourselves in the middle of this pandemic and how we came and how we came at the end right so i have a huge opportunity with everyone else right now that it's healthcare to write that history and to write that book and i'm saying oh my god let's right we can make it what we want to make it and i know we want to make it a really great story so we can we can get really excited about this we have a we're talking and, and seriously considering what does, so what, what does healthcare really look like post pandemic? It's not, we're not going to look like what we looked like pre pandemic. And it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, you, you've likely seen and, and heard, right. That we're leveraging technology and virtual care in a way that we weren't before. Right. right. Yeah. How cool is that? And yeah. to the benefit of the patients, same uh, and and or uh, you know equal you know uh, or greater outcome in some circumstances when used appropriately, definitely a much better experience when used appropriately. So yeah. all of that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, and so we have so even within the acute care setting, we have a way an opportunity right now to redesign the models of care. We work collaboratively intensely today way much more so than we did uh, we were kind of sort of forced to do that through covid and that's yep. a good thing that's yeah. one of those uh, 
positive unintentional consequences of these, you know, major world event that allows you to check in and then to redirect and, uh, and, and, and write, you know, write the book. And I think that, I think that that's really exciting. I think that anyone that would want to consider joining, I mean, you know, joining nursing as a profession is, is exciting in it by itself because there's so much that you can do. I mean, the list is yay long of stuff that you can do uh, once, once you become a nurse. Well, imagine that on top of that, you also have the ability to rewrite, to write, not rewrite, but to write the history of, uh, of healthcare. And, and, yeah. how, and how it's being, I, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, me too. Um, so as we wrap up today, you mentioned you've been a nurse for 32 years. Um, so, and you, you talked, you joked about retirement and you'd be acting, you know, down the road. So when you're retired and acting and you got, let's say you got some young kids uh, that you're, who are with you acting, right? And they're saying, you were a nurse? And they want to hear a story about your career or what, what was nursing like? If you only had your first 32 years, what's a story or what, you know, what is it that you would share with them briefly? Dang, like one story in 32 <laughs> years. Uh, I mean, is it COVID? You know, is that? I, well, you know, it's, it's hard not to tell a COVID story, right? Because yeah. we're in the middle of it. I mean, I could tell, I, I, there's a lot of stories when I was a nurse caring for patients that I could, you know, probably could write a book about that. But let me tell you a story that, um, that I, I witnessed, uh, not, as a, uh, not as a practicing nurse, but I witnessed through this, uh, through this pandemic that will show, um, the reason why I picked this story is that it will show the, uh, the power um, that, uh, that a nurse can have uh, in, in making such a significant difference in the life of someone. And okay. I think that that's why it's important to show, to, to tell that story. So we had a, a nurse that, um, that, uh, was caring for a, um, so I'm going to take you back to January okay. of 2020, uh, in, in Southern California, where for the audience, uh, as a reminder, this is where this is, this was the, the peak. So far, as we know it today, the highest your, number of sorry, patients. 21 that, or 2020? 2020, 2021, sorry. Okay, cool. Thank January you. of 2021. Cool. And um, so she takes care of this patient, uh, uh, elderly patient, uh, multiple medical issues going on, and uh, also has... Um, a dementia, so very hard for him to make uh, rational decision uh, in um, uh, for his safety. Someone that we would have to redirect all the time, come back into the room and say, "Please don't get up by yourself. Please make sure you call us. Please, right? You just keep on redirecting all the time, all the time." So imagine this nurse that that's you know. Uh, has uh, this type of patient that also is uh, in, in, in the middle of, you know, COVID have to, uh, and, and this patient also uh, is uh, COVID. So you have to have some level of different level of protection, if you will, as you go in and out. So mm -hmm. that exercise of 
Changing. Conning and doffing and preparing yourself to go in and preparing yourself to go out and making sure that it's safe for the other patients. I mean, that that in it by itself creates a lot of, uh, requires a lot of energy. Yeah. So when you have to do that a lot with someone, uh, that's that's taxing. Uh, so when you think about all the other stuff that she that she had to do, and it was just one of those days where it was overwhelming and overwhelming to a point where uh, you know just just uh, it it was one of those moments where she just felt that uh, I, I I just can't like I just can't right anymore. Like I'm I'm breaking. I'm, I could see myself breaking down words that she actually uh, used. Now, interestingly enough, we had just introduced uh, a, a process that many of our hospitals, uh, ministries have, uh, have endorsed a different level for, for uh, depending on whether it worked for them or not. But this particular nurse manager on that unit uh, made sure that when it was time for the um, for, uh, for the nurses to uh, leave, she would gather all the nurses together and she would have a time where she would calling, uh, letting go before you go. A time where you'd have a chance to say, you know, what worked well for you today and what didn't, and let's talk about it now, let's let it go. And then you can go home and then take care of your family, do what you need to do and leave it here for others to care for, right? So that was the whole intent. Well, that nurse had a really, rough time. In fact, she cried multiple times during her shift because it was really, really hard. And then she comes in and she's being asked the question. One question that we always ask is, what made you smile today as you're getting ready to leave? Because sometimes when we're so busy and we're dealing with difficult situation, it's very easy to stay in the what's hard. Yeah. And it's and, and we lose sight of what made us smile. And if you don't remind yourself enough about that, then, 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 then you're, you're not creating the positive energy around yourself that you really need to create. That's the whole premise behind that. So she asked the question, what made you smile today? And interestingly, no one was expecting this particular nurse to raise her hand and say, I have something to share because they had seen her cry, you know, most of the day and trying to support her and how difficult of a day she had. And she tells the story and it's about this same patient and everyone is wondering where is she going with this? Well, in the midst of all of this, eventually she, um, she brings the, uh, the iPad into the room and she dials the niece of that patient and makes the niece have a moment with the patient where all of a sudden the patient recognized the niece nice. and had a moment, right? A moment of, oh, I'm here on earth in this moment. I know who you are and I smile and she sees the patient smile and she, she saw that the ability to, she was so connected with her patient that she knew how to connect him back to life in the moment right now. And that just made her day. That made her smile. So I share this story with you because you never know. Some small stuff sometimes seems so small, but the difference that you can make in the life of others. She made this otherwise uh, patient that couldn't figure out which day of the week it was and not really knowing 
what was going on reconnected with life and she connected with the patient. And that just reminded her of that's why she's doing what she's doing. And it made her smile and it made her come back the next day. Yeah. To be able to make a difference once again for her patients. Yeah. That's a great purpose. And uh, it is, it is a good reminder still for us to step back and remember why we do what we do. Cause I think you've probably been worn out. Your team has been worn out. Um, so it's a, a great simple story that, that makes a lot of sense, you know? Uh, so, so we're, we're wrapping it up, man. It's been great to have you on the show. Um, we've had, um, one of your colleagues on previously from Providence, uh, actually a couple of times, Eric Wexler, who actually introduced me to you, as you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so, uh, really appreciate you joining from Washington. You're in Washington today too, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, we had to actually reschedule our previous previous show, folks, because Sill um, does a lot of traveling. And he's taking care. He's saving lives, or his team is saving <laughs> lives. So uh, scheduling, um, you know, it, it's really a joy that you took a few minutes with us today, Sill. I want to thank you very much. If folks want to learn more about Providence St. Joseph Health, or maybe even apply, um, where where can they find more out about the Providence.org uh, uh, backslash nurses. Uh, perfect place to go check it out. Uh, and if you're uh, providence.org, perfect, perfect place to start. All right. And if you're a nurse, they should go to and looking for opportunities. That's Abs the absolutely would love to, I would love to, uh, to talk to anyone uh, about that. The, 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 the beauty about practicing as a nurse at Providence St. Joseph Health is we pride ourselves in creating uh, uh, and created sacred encounters with our patients. So I would invite uh, every nurse to come and join uh, and, and hear more about that. Awesome. And I know Sill is also active on LinkedIn. So folks, uh, if you want to follow him, feel free to do so. Look him up. Uh, Sill, can you pronounce your first and last name? I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Sylvain Tripanier. So it's S-Y-L-V-A-I-N. Very good. I've, I've said it before, but I, I think I had it, but not nearly as good as that. So thanks for pronouncing it. Uh, again, thanks for joining us today, Sil. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.